Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. Halloween for Hunger is back in Hamilton. How are you sleeping these days? The Blue Jays slip in their wildcard chase. We preview the Ticats Alouettes clash. Learn why home care is in crisis in Ontario. And a man in a wheelchair is going to rappel down a building again for charity. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Well, October is here. That means Halloween is right around the corner. And once again, students at Hamilton's St. Thomas More High School hosting the annual Halloween for Hunger campaign. Adriana Bozzo is the Senior Director of Halloween for Hunger, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Adriana. Good morning. It's that time of the year again. Where has the time gone? Um, tell us what's happening this year. Absolutely. Um, so perhaps I'll start off with explaining how Halloween for Hunger usually runs. Um, so Halloween for Hunger is a monumental event where prior to COVID, we STM students would collect canned goods from 24,000 homes in Hamilton um, on Halloween night. Everything is brought back to our cafeteria where it's sorted and packaged. And then 100% of our proceeds go to our local food bank, neighbor to neighbor. Obviously, with the pandemic, that makes social distancing impossible. So this year, we've converted to a completely monetary donation page. No canned goods. All we want is money for the food bank to buy their own canned goods. So last year was the first time around that you went the virtual route. How did it go last year? It went very well. Um, We collected a whopping nearly $70,000 on our donation page. Um, And this year our goal is $100,000. So we're hoping that we can reach it. That is very much achievable. So where can people donate to? What's the website? Absolutely. So the website is n. 2N, the number 2, n2ncenter.com forward slash H for H. Well, it can't be easier than that. Um, having already done the virtual fundraiser last year, I'm guessing that any wrinkles that you did encounter have been ironed out for this year? Well, that's funny you ask because last year everything was completely virtual, even our Halloween Vronger meetings. But now that we're back in school and the whole school is back, it's non-cohorted, we have in-person meetings and we're allowed to do a little bit more within the school. So we've actually incorporated our students. We're going to have about 400 students go out and deliver flyers that promote the link to our donation page. And last year you were not able to do that, correct? We were not able to do that last year. So we're just incorporating some in-person components slowly. Yeah, so in doing what had to be done last year, not being able to really go out into the community as you are going to be doing this year, it sounds like, you know, that the 70000 or the nearly $70,000 that was raised last year is going to be, uh, you know, uh, blown past this year because you're able to get out in the community and spread the word a little bit more. You know what? We really hope so. What were some of the challenges in terms of meeting virtually? I know everyone's kind of used to Zoom or Teams or whatever application they're using, but meeting virtually and not being able to be out in the community and collect food last year must have been disappointing, but you still pulled through and were able to raise a lot of money. Absolutely, we did. Um, We had a billboard, which 
had our donation page link in big letters and other means of promotion. But this year we're going hard on the community promotion with flyers and social media digital ads and just getting the school very excited. What are the chances, do you think, that you'll be able to get back to quote-unquote normal next year? That is an excellent question. Um, Well, it depends how the conditions are to see if we can manage 1,000 students going out into the community and then coming back and sorting canned goods. If that is permissible, then Halloween for Hunger is happening as normal. But for now, our community still needs us, and so we're here to raise them money. Yeah, let's hope that last year or a year from this time uh, next year is what I'm trying to say. You'll be back to normal and uh, we'll see a lot of students, as you say, a thousand students out in the community and collecting uh, non-perishable food items. Uh, we're chatting with Adriana Abazzo. She is the Senior Director of Halloween for Hunger at St. Thomas More High School. You mentioned that you know students are back in school this year. What's the buzz like around school now that October's here? We know the fundraiser is just a couple of weeks away, or at least Halloween is just a couple of weeks away. Well, it's pretty exciting, Um, and we have a lot of fun activities planned, raffles and things, to get the school really excited about our campaign, because it's important, and the community needs us. And when there's that school spirit, it makes it an extremely fun campaign for everyone involved. What kind of feedback have you received from the Neighbor to Neighbor Center who, you know, is again getting a boatload of cash this year to go and buy those food items? Well, funny you ask, we are one of their main contributors. So our canned goods lasted them many months, but money has even more of a bigger impact because all that money goes directly to the food or to the food bank and they can buy whatever they need so whatever the necessities are they purchase it directly so money has made a great impact and like i said sustains the food bank for many months on end in saying that do you think future halloween for hunger events whether it's next year or a few years down the road will incorporate both sides you know one being the students getting out volunteering getting some volunteer hours because we know they need that uh, collecting food items as well as conducting a virtual online fundraising campaign can those two things coexist we have considered a hybrid model not too sure how we're going to smooth out those details (laughs) but it is possible anything's possible when you've got a great team like ours That is for sure. Adriana, really appreciate the time today. Good luck with the campaign, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That is Adriana Bozzo. She is the Senior Director of Halloween for Hunger at St. Thomas More High School here in Hamilton. As we know, whenever October arrives, these students gear up to give back, and they volunteer countless hours. Obviously, in years past, a lot of those hours were... You know, collecting food, getting them back to the school, distributing things, or at least, uh, you know, I I, I went to uh, St. Thomas More uh, one Halloween, probably, I want to say five or six years ago, just to see what happens on that night. And it is extraordinary. The amount of food that they've collected in the past is just mind-boggling. I mean, their cafeteria looks like a warehouse, and it's so coordinated, and they do such a great job, and it's such a impactful fundraiser in this town. 
Now, of course, with the pandemic, it is all monetary, but, you know, that's a good thing as well. We're keeping our students safe. We're keeping the community safe. We're raising a lot of money for Neighbor to Neighbor Center. And most importantly, that money is going to go a long way to buying some much-needed food items for people in need in this community. So great campaign. Thumbs up to all the students and staff at STM for their help. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. We're talking about sleep, and uh, there's a new study published uh, in the journal JAMA Neurology that uh, questions how long older adults sleep could, well, affect their brain health. Well, here to shed some light on it is Dr. Atul Kalar, the medical director at the Northern Alberta Sleep Clinic. Good morning, Dr. Kalar. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How does sleep impact brain health and our overall health? Well, there's multiple dimensions to it, and sometimes it's cause and effect, but definitely you could argue it's one of the pillars uh, to our overall health, similar to diet and exercise. So I know everyone's different, but how much sleep should an adult be getting? Well, it can vary, and it can also depend on the time, but I think definitely the studies have looked it should be anywhere between seven to nine hours is what's recommended, but I would say looking at the data, probably seven to eight and a half. Below seven is a problem, and often above eight, eight and a half is also a problem. So why is getting too much sleep a problem? Because that can be indicative of other health problems, and it has been linked to, and it's hard to say if it's too much sleep or the problem that's causing too much sleep, um linked to issues with depression, um, high body mass index, a number of other things. So if you're sleeping too much, often it's a sign that the body is not happy uh, biologically in some way. Now this seven or eight hours sleep, however many hours people are getting, does it have to be continuous sleep to be an effective sleep, I guess? And that's a great question, Rick. You know, the jury's still a bit out on that. And, um, you know, it's preferred to be continuous, but, you know, if you're working shifts, if your life doesn't preclude that, you know, sometimes a lot of people do sleep uh, a short nap in the early, you know, part of their day or the mid part of their day uh, to get sleep. And it depends what you're using it for. So if you can only get a few hours of sleep per night and you need a little bit extra sleep, then that's useful, but that shouldn't be necessarily a habit. It should try to be continuous, but getting more sleep, to get in that seven, eight hour range is better than not getting enough. Many people, certainly older adults, do get up in the middle of the night to, you know, visit the bathroom. Does that affect uh, your sleep sweet spot at all? It can. And there's numerous things as we age to interrupt sleep. You know, uh, traditionally it's been thought that, oh, aging does make your sleep more fragmented. And that is correct. But when you actually pin it down and look at some of the data, it's often all the things like going to the bathroom taking extra medications, numerous other medical issues that fragment the sleep and keep us out of the sleep sweet spot. Our guest this morning on Good Morning Hamilton is Dr. Atu Kalar, Medical Director at the Northern Alberta Sleep Clinic. We're talking about uh, getting some good sleep or a good night's sleep. Um, I used to, at one point, uh, have a cup of tea about an hour before going to bed. How does caffeine impact our sleep? And it's very variable, depending on the person. It may not necessarily be a binary keeping you from sleep, although if your sleep is sensitive and you are sensitive to caffeine, it can keep you from sleeping. But the people that say, yeah, I can have some caffeine and go to sleep, that is correct. You know, they're not lying, but the problem is caffeine definitely will lighten our sleep and sometimes to the point where you don't sleep. 
Hmm, interesting. What about technology, whether it's, you know, social media or something to that effect? Is that a no-go zone before bedtime? And it, again, depends on the person how much it's going to affect. But as a rule, yes, the technology is definitely going to create a more disruptive, less quality sleep. But it depends on dose and how much and where you do it. So, for example, watching a little bit of television or, you know, scrolling through your phone downstairs for 10 or 15 minutes is a lot different than lying in your bed for two or three hours. And it's similar with caffeine. You know, having a couple of cups of coffee during the day is not a big deal. But to your point, having a very caffeinated tea before bed can uh, change things. So it's really a threshold point. Apart from feeling tired, are there other signs that people should be watching out for when it comes to not getting enough sleep? Uh, Being tired, obviously, is the big one. But, you know, if your health starts to deteriorate for unknown reasons is one. Uh, If you start to develop health problems out of nowhere, like high blood pressure, depression, anxiety, uh, these sorts of things, that can be an indication that, that perhaps you're not uh, sleeping properly or not enough. Gaining weight is another one. Yeah, definitely. This pandemic has certainly affected impa- or impacted and affected uh, people's sleep. Do you have any advice or tips for those who are having trouble getting to bed? Well, I think the first step is to look at your sort of sleep environment. You know, is it dark? Is it uh, a bit cooler than most people would keep it, usually between 17 and 20 degrees? Most people keep it a little warmer. Uh, What are you actually doing in the bed? Are you watching TV in bed? Are you doing Zoom meetings in bed? Uh, Would be the first step. You know, having a consistent sort of bedtime, wake-up time is the next. And understanding that your sleep is a 24-hour thing. So the things, you know, it's a whole-day process to try to, create better sleep, you know, such as diet, exercise, and sleep behaviors. Good stuff, Dr. Kalar. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, have a good night's sleep. Thank you very much, Rick. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Atul Kalar, Medical Director at the Northern Alberta Sleep Clinic and a Senior Consultant at MedSleep. He's also an Associate Clinical Professor at the University of Alberta and uh, basically a sleep expert. So hopefully some tips and advice from him will help you get a better night's sleep. And I used to, back in the day, I did mornings for, I don't know, 12, 15 years, whatever the case was here at CHML, uh, reading uh, sports updates. And um, I would usually at 9 o'clock uh, have a cup of tea, or pardon me, at 8 o'clock have a cup of tea. And then uh, into bed at 9, the alarm would go off at 3 and, uh, you know, up and at them and, and, and away we go. Now, uh, you know, I'm getting up an hour later. I'm up at four. The alarm goes off, but I'm not having that cup of tea at night. And, you know, I'll get about six, maybe seven hours of sleep per night, uh, a little more on the weekends, obviously. That seems to be okay, but there are some days, especially, you know, midweek and towards the end of the week where... Uh, that uh, that internal clock is saying, hey, uh, you need a little more sleep. So I'm going to definitely work on that. It, it is a, it's a tough go, that is for sure. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Their game plan against me was to try to lay off the slider uh, and get a fastball out over. And, um, you know, the situations, uh, the home runs, um, I think they were all on fastballs. That is Blue Jays pitcher Robbie Ray following last night's 6-2 Jays loss against the New York Yankees. Disappointing, uh, given that it was 2-1 for the longest time, and then, well, the sixth inning came along. Julia Kreitz is a writer with Yahoo Sports Canada and joins us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. We say good morning, Julia. 
Good morning, Hamilton. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on uh, board today. The Jays, as I said, look to be on their way to winning a nail-biter last night, and then the sixth inning happened. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, an outlier. Uh, Robbie Ray has been terrific this year for the Jays. He is a front-runner still for the Cy Young Award in the American League, and it just so happened that the Yankees' plan worked out well for them to a T. And, and, you know, if Robbie Ray has one blemish in his record this year, it is home runs and uh, his performance the third time around a lineup. And uh, that sort of uh, all came together, unfortunately, for the Blue Jays uh, in the sixth inning last night. And now the American League wildcard race is really interesting with three games left in the season. Yeah, that sixth inning, I think it was three homers. The Yanks score four runs. They end up winning uh, six to two, and uh, they're, in, they're in full control of their destiny. Their magic number is down to two, but the Jays have some work to do. Three games to go. They're a game behind Seattle and Boston. They close out the season against the last place Baltimore Orioles. How do you like the Jays' chances of getting in? It's going to be, in a word, chaos. <laughs> Rick, it's uh, definitely one of the most, one of the closest races uh, in recent memory here. And the thing about the Blue Jays now is that they they don't control their own destiny. Even with a sweep of the Orioles in these final three games, they're still going to need a lot of help from other teams uh, if they want to make uh, that final playoff spot. And what we might see actually is a three game, uh, three team tie for that second wildcard spot, which will make the schedule very interesting and the need for tiebreaker games in the regular season. It's not impossible, but the Blue Jays do have a very steep uphill climb from here on out. Yeah, a a three-way tie scenario with Toronto, Seattle, Boston all tied for that second wildcard spot would certainly extend the season because the, uh, I guess, the second and third wildcard teams would meet in a one-game playoff, and the winner of that would then play against the other wild card team, right? That would that would be uh <laughs> that would be the scenario. Yes. And if that's the case, the Blue Jays do have a plan for it. Of course, Jose Barrios would take the mound for the 163 <laughs> game of the season and uh they are prepared for every scenario and they do need to sweep the Orioles to get there and uh, and, and hope for a little for a little help too. We're chatting uh, with Julia Kreutz, writer at Yahoo Sports Canada, about the uh, Blue Jays' wild card race. And I think if you know, if you're Tampa Bay, Houston, the White Sox, all division winners, they would probably rather see Seattle and Boston get that last wild card spot as opposed to Toronto. What do you think? It's tough to tell. I don't think that they are. And if you ask their managers, they will probably tell you that they're not picking opponents here. Um, and there's also a case to be made here, Rick, about, you know, momentum, carrying momentum into the postseason. Would they want to risk, you know, not putting their best foot forward in these final three games? What does that do to a team mentality? It's very tough to make the argument for, you know, trying to throw games or manipulate the regular season in order to have a better opponent in the postseason. That can be a slippery slope. So I don't think we're there yet. But uh, deep down, yes, they would probably uh, they would probably uh, choose if they could to play someone like the Red Sox or the Mariners. Yeah. Well, speaking of momentum, Seattle might be one of the hottest teams in the majors. They've won nine of the last ten, four in a row. 
Um, their run differential is uh, a minus, which is uh, amazing to see for a team that has won 89 games and are in the wild card hunt. How, how are the Mariners doing it? It's reason can't explain it. Stats can't explain it. They're just getting hot in the right time. And we see that, you know, the Yankees are the same. Of course, their run differential is not as drastic as is the Mariners. But it's all about getting those wins at the right time. If you want to talk about run differential and, and, and you know, stats and not making sense of it, the Blue Jays are in the opposite um, shoe, opposite side of that equation, which is, their run differential is a plus, and it's uh, just incredible. The, the The difference there is is really amazing. And and if the Blue Jays don't make the playoffs, that is historic too in its own right. Because teams with that with with that amount of runs, you know, out, who outscored the, their opponents that much, they don't miss the playoffs. So we have two sides of a coin here uh, in the Mariners and the Blue Jays. Run differential, the Jays have a plus 164. That is more than 100 runs better than the Yankees, uh, to, to put it into perspective. And 90 runs exactly better than the Red Sox. And that 164 is the second best in the major leagues, just behind the 255, amazingly so, by the Dodgers. So if Toronto doesn't make it, that would be incredibly disappointing. And yesterday aside, is Robbie Ray still the front runner for the Cy Young Award? I believe he is. I think that uh, his uh, entire season speaks for itself. He has been so solid, and you know he leads the he leads the American League in wins above replacement for a pitcher and in strikeouts. He transformed himself into an ace. His off season was probably one of the most uh, remarkable of the Blue Jays uh, of the Blue Jays season. And his uh, opponent, Garrett Cole, didn't exactly have a tremendous, uh, tremendously good outing, uh, you know, lost to the Jays. And so it was a two-horse race coming into this week. Both of them faltered a little. And I believe that Robbie Ray's season, at the end of the day, is more impressive than Garrett Cole's. I think the Blue Jays are getting their, their Cy Young this season. I would agree. Uh, we got about a minute to go. So we're, we're going to guesstimate that the Yankees are going to get in. So of Boston, Seattle, Toronto, who are you giving the edge to? Who's that second wildcard team? Funnily enough, I will say the Mariners. The Red Sox have been slumping. You know, the losing to the Orioles there was a big hit for this team. And the Mariners are getting hot at the right time. It, run differential doesn't really matter at this point, unfortunately for the Blue Jays. And, you know, you talk about controlling your own fate. The Mariners have done a good job of putting themselves somewhat in the driver's seat, which is something that the Blue Jays, for, you know, strength of schedule or whatever it is, uh, weren't able to do coming into the final stretch here. So I think the Mariners are taking that final wild card spot. Sorry, Blue Jays fans. Womp, womp, womp. Julia, really appreciate the time today. Enjoy uh, the uh, final three games of the Jays' season, and uh, we're looking forward to the baseball playoffs as well. We'll chat with you down the road. Thank you so much. That's Julia Kreutz, writer at Yahoo Sports Canada. So the Jays close out uh, with three games against Baltimore. Seattle will close out their season against the Angels. Uh, the Red Sox will take on the Washington Nationals, and the Yankees, for their part, will uh, play the Tampa Bay Rays, the division leaders uh, in the American League. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Let's hope we hear more of this tomorrow. For the Tiger Cats, it's an interception. Ball is picked off. 
by Jamal Rule, and he's got an opening down the sidelines at the 25, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Tiger Cats! Jamal Rule on the interception. It's another defensive touchdown for Hamilton, and they are way ahead now, up 20 to nothing with the convert remaining. R.J. Broad had the call on CHML and the Ticats Audio Network. The Tiger Cats rumbling to a 24-7 win in Ottawa the last time we heard from them. And tomorrow, and you can hear the game again on 900 CHML, the Tiger Cats are hosting the Montreal Alouettes with a preview. We are inviting to the show for the first time, I believe, Andy Fantuz, former Ticats receiver and pregame show co-host with the Ticats Audio Network joining us now. Andy, good morning. Morning, Rick. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Good. We're at the like a nice day out there. I believe so. Yeah, we're at the midway point of the CFL season. What are your impressions so far of the 2021 Ticats? Well, it's been. Uh, I think it's been a tale of two two sides uh, in their wins and their losses. Totally different teams uh, showed up to play those the games that they lost, the first two games of the season, and then the game after Labor Day, and. Other than that, though, uh, they've been convincing in their wins. So I think their defense is definitely definitely their strong, strong part of the team, the strongest part of the team. And when they're on, I mean, they're scoring points. And so they're, they're turning defense into offense, great, giving great field position, staying fresh. So uh, I'm looking – for that to continue as the season rolls on. I, I can't imagine or can't recall too many different teams in the past that have used three different quarterbacks, and at the midway point of the season, they're over 500. That's a testament to, well, the, the three QBs who have played this year, but also, as you mentioned, the defense really carrying the load so far. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you got to give some credit to the coaching staff and, and uh, well, you mentioned the players themselves, but they all prepare to play, and they're very diligent in their in their training and preparation and their um, and their studies. So, Coach Orlando always preaches, you know, next man up. And uh, there has been a lot of injuries on the team, especially on the offense this entire season. But getting a getting a few of those guys back this week, I know Mazzoli's back, and uh, Brandon Banks is back, and a guy we haven't seen all year. So far, Braylon Addison, who was one of the top receivers in the league in 2019, he's also back. So uh, should be a different look offense this week here. But, yeah, you definitely got to give credit to the team as a whole for for being tied for first in the East and over 500 um, when they're down to the third-string quarterback. But David Watford did a good job, and the coaches did a good job of game-planning it to, to – uh, maximize, you know, to use the team's strengths. We're chatting with former Ticats receiver Andy Fantuz here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Andy's now part of the Ticats audio network and has some pre- and post-game duties as well. You mentioned injuries. Uh, Masoli, Dane Evans, Braylon Addison, who's finally back, Brandon Banks, Chris Van Zyl, who's still out. That takes a lot out of a team, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does, especially when you're looking along the offensive line. Uh, those guys need that consistency in the lineup to be able to learn how to play off each other and, and like you said gel with the guy next to you and you saw that you saw those um that inexperience in the first two games of the season when Missouri didn't have any time at all to to sit back and throw and uh and it was off 
a very poor offensive production. Um, you get a little bit of that as well with the receivers. However, you know, with the CFL, there's so many receivers out there and guys coming coming in and out of the lineup on for, with different package personnel packages that you're sort of used to working with different people. And I think I think in a season like the CFL when it's nice and long, I think injuries could be it, they're tough on the player and, and tough on uh, on the offense as a whole, but they can be a blessing in a sense because you, if you look at it in a different way, because there a lot of other players are getting getting reps, getting experience, and when it comes down the stretch, you'll have more more guys with experience and more guys that feel comfortable to be put in there to, to do the job, and you'll have a better uh, more competition in practice as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean injuries are always are always tough, but I think do think there is a silver lining in that as long as the injuries are early in the season and, and you can have your you can have the guys that you want to be playing healthy uh, come you know November and into December. It certainly tests the depth, and we've seen Hamilton's depth, and uh, so far so good as they're four and three, and they've handled a, a boatload of injuries and are still uh, on the right side of the level. Andy, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Thank you. I will. You That's. Well. Thank you very much, Andy Fantuz, former Ticats receiver and uh, a member of the Ticats Audio Network. Hamilton has won 11 straight at home. That's three off the all-time record of 14 that was set uh, between 1957 and 59. Of course, you can hear the game on CHML starting at 4 p.m. tomorrow, and the fifth quarter will follow the final whistle. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Well, a Hamilton-based provincial association has launched a new campaign to highlight what it calls growing problems in the home care system. Sue Vanderbent is the CEO of Home Care Ontario and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Hello, Sue. Good morning, Sue. Do we have you? Yes, I'm here. Hi, nice to have you this morning. Why is home care in crisis in Ontario? Well, over a million Ontarians receive home care every year in Ontario, and not many people know that it's that big a service. We look after your grandparents, your parents, your children. All of those folks rely on home care for chemotherapy, home oxygen, wound care, uh, caregiver support, physical therapy, People of all ages and children of all ages receive home care. It's very, very big. But since COVID, uh, we've lost about 3,000 nurses and skilled therapists, as well as PSWs. Uh, They've gone for better pay in hospitals and long-term care. And we understand, uh, of course, we've been through a terrible, terrible pandemic. But right now, this home care system is failing, and we need an immediate investment of $600 million. We've told the ministry this, that uh, the government needs to pay attention to the needs of Ontarians in the home. There's people waiting right now in their homes for their home care staff to come in for their nurse, their therapist, their PSW, and we can't send anybody because we have lost over 3,000 nurses, skilled therapists, and PSWs. So it is really a crisis. We are sounding the alarm. We are shining the light on the fact that this is a this is a personal crisis. It's a family crisis. We know family caregivers are burning out. So the urgency is there. Uh, we need we need absolutely the government to pay attention to the needs of Ontarians who need to be in in, in their homes. And so, community. 
the the urgent need for that six hundred million dollar uh, government investment would that go to basically shoring up the staffing shortages? It absolutely would. We have huge staffing uh, shortages, and that means that we don't have the capacity to send someone to a person in their home. We used to be able to fill 90% of our referrals, and now we can only accept 60%. So there's a huge number of Ontarians, and many of your listeners who live in Hamilton uh, are experiencing this, and the home care system wants to be able to look after our patients, and we want to look after those people, particularly who are going to be coming home from hospitals when we start to resume our surgeries. Uh, we know that we are we have so thousands of backlog surgeries in uh, in Ontario and across across Canada, really, but in Hamilton, many, many thousands of backlog surgeries. And a great majority of those people require home care following their surgeries for wound care, for personal care. Uh, the families need help for their for their moms, their dads, and their kids. How have the patients who require home care, how have they been impacted, and are they relying more on family, friends, caregivers to care for them? We are hearing that, and then subsequently to that, Rick, we're hearing that families are burning out. Uh, there's mental health challenges for and depression in families. Families are, are wearing out. Families are bringing their loved ones to the emergency and crisis. Uh, it, it is really a, a shocking situation, and it's a quiet crisis because, you know, the home uh, is a private place, and we what happens behind closed doors is our private our private business, and and these uh, sad sort of private troubles really are public issues, and that's why I'm shining a light on it because. It is a private issue that your mom or your dad is sick, but it's a public issue that you don't reserve or you can't get the home care that you need. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Sue Vanderbens, the CEO of Home Care Ontario. We're talking about the crisis in Ontario's home care system and an urgent call for $600 million in funding to help fix it. Um, We've heard throughout this pandemic, um, certainly as many people in the long-term care field were either leaving their jobs or dying in those facilities, with more people wanting to stay home longer in life, uh, what kind of pressure is that putting on home care? Everybody that we've polled, and we have just recently done a poll, 93% of the people that we polled say they intend to live at home and receive care at home and even end their days at home. Uh, and that's that's their wish. We have a demographic of elderly people, uh, middle middle aged people who will be elderly, who are saying they do want to receive care at home. This means our home care system is even more important. And we're shining the light on on this to say to people: if you want to stay at home, uh, join our cause. Uh, visit www. Choose home care. Uh, .ca, speak to your MTP, uh, make this an issue now uh, so that you can get the care that you need. Uh, if you did have to have a surgery or you want to live at home for as long as possible as you age. Also, as part of uh, Home Care Ontario's Home Care is Healthcare campaign, you're also calling for a new credit that people can use. Tell us about that. 
Yes. Well, our, we are asking for a tax credit uh, for those who are family, those families who are funding care, often supplementary to the publicly funded system. And that credit uh, would help them to continue to maintain their moms or dads uh, in the home or even themselves. So uh, we believe this is a really important uh, move forward to, to help the families who are funding uh, additional care for their moms and dads. Those families are actually supporting the entire system because they are keeping their loved ones out of the hospitals, out of the ERs, uh, where we know there are other, uh, other folks who, who need um, perhaps more urgent care. Well, we know that the provincial government is sitting on uh, $2.5 billion in pandemic-related funding, so hopefully some of that can go to organizations like Home Care Ontario and the home care system. Sue, we're out of time. Thank you for your time today. Enjoy the weekend, and thanks for shining a light on this topic. Thanks so much for your time, Rick. You can get more information at choosehomecare.ca, and that is the website that uh, they've set up to um, uh, run in conjunction with the Home Care is Healthcare campaign. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. A local man is going to rappel down a building in his wheelchair again. Andrew Nielsen is an Easter Seal superhero who has raised thousands of dollars through his participation in the organization's Drop Zone events. Todd Stevens is Andrew's longtime friend and Easter Seals camp counselor, and he joins us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Todd, how are you? I'm great, Rick. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on today. Tell us about Andrew's story. Well, you know, I met Andrew, like you said, uh, 34 years ago. Uh, I was a camp counselor, and uh, he was a camper. And we were reminiscing about camp and, and thinking about what it gave us, the friendships, the memories, and wanted to give back. And when he heard about this drop zone, it really appealed to him. He's really an adventurous guy and a, a bit of a daredevil, really. Um, Andrew, we should mention, has cerebral palsy in a wheelchair and is rappelling down a building. Where does this happen and when does this take place? Okay. Yeah, it's an amazing sight to see. Uh, it's at the Choice Riot Building at 175 Bloor Street, East Toronto, uh, just near Young and Bloor on Saturday, October 2nd at 10 a.m. And how big is this building? Uh, it's over 17 stories. And the <laughs> unusual thing about this year is he's actually going to repel up the building and then back down the building. Oh, wow. So it's a double dip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's the uh, fundraising goal and, and how can people donate? Uh, well, Andrew's personal fundraiser is uh, he wants to raise about $50,000. Now, that was an ambitious goal. He was trying to get me to do it with him. I'm scared to death of doing it. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he's getting close. He's around 34000 or so now. Uh, people can donate two ways. Uh, the easiest way would go to www.thedropzone.ca. Uh, go to Donate Toronto and then find Andrew Nielsen, and his last name is N-I-E-L-S-E-N. Or they could go to his Twitter at Andrew O. Nielsen, and uh, the link is there as well. And so how many years has he done this now? Uh, this will actually be his fourth time wow. doing it. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So the first time he was doing this, I mean, there there must have been some trepidation of you know any individual rappelling down a building. You know, I, I thought there would be. I just remember him sitting up. They had to go over a six-foot wall, actually, to get down off the roof. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty scary sight. And he was sitting on top of that wall. 
and I was almost vomiting really. <laughs> I was so nervous about it. Uh, but he was just calmly looking around, taking in the sights. I couldn't believe it. Wow. We're chatting with uh, Todd Stevens. He's a longtime friend of Andrew Nielsen, who's an Easter Seals superhero and once again is going to be rappelling down a, a 17-story building, uh, raising funds for Easter Seals. What, what does this money go to? What, what is it for? Uh, the Easter Seals does amazing things. I mean, they, they buy uh, wheel or help people purchase wheelchairs, walkers, uh, send kids to camp. We're talking bath and toilet, tea, uh, toilet aids. Uh, scholarships to go to university and college, ramps, lifts, communication devices, therapy, respite programs, sports and leisure programs. I mean, do they just do so much for these kids. Wow. And from what I've heard, you and Andrew have known uh, each other for a long time, and you were also uh, involved in each other's weddings. Tell us about that. Yeah, actually, Andrew was uh, my best man and uh, actually kept me pretty calm and <laughs> cool and collected for my wedding and uh, I was also he honored me by asking him to be his best man nice that's pretty cool uh, I know Andrew's also a huge Ticats fan so is he going to be able to do this event tomorrow and get to the Ticats game yeah we're in for a crazy day we're getting up at 5 in the morning uh, heading there at 7 I know he's going to fly his Ticats uh, flag off of his wheelchair as he repels down he likes to you know get that in there while he's in Toronto um, it, and then we're racing back to get into, back here in time for the game. Well, so it's going to be a crazy day. Should be a fun event. And give us the website again to donate. Yeah, it's www.thedropzone.ca and donate Toronto and then Andrew Nielsen. Excellent. Todd, really appreciate the time. Good luck with the fundraiser. I guess more so for Andrew's sake. And uh, enjoy the game tomorrow as well. All right. Thanks a lot, Rick. Thank you. Todd Stevens uh, telling us about Andrew Nielsen and his annual drop zone event, an Easter Seals superhero. Uh, yeah, go online and uh, donate to the cause. That should be a lot of fun. You, you, you wouldn't catch me rappelling down a building. No, no, no. Me, me and Heights don't get along, at least not 17 stories. Can't do it. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.